All right, so good morning. And it's a good day. And I'll tell you why it's a good day. Because it's a new day. And if it's a new day, then that means that there are new mercies. You guys are trained so well. I love it. So if you have your Bible with you, and I always hope that you do, let's open it up to the book of Psalms. So if you take your Bible and you just open it to the middle, you're probably more likely going to be in the book of Psalms. And we're going to uh, be in Psalm chapter 90. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we always do put the verses up on the screen for you. Uh, but it's our preference that everybody would actually just have their own Bible. And because of that, if you don't own a Bible, stop by the info table and grab one of these. It is a Bible that we give. It's a free gift. It's just for you. We want everyone to have their own copy of God's Word because we believe it's God's Word. We want you like reading it during the week and studying and, and asking questions about it. So if you don't have one, stop by the info table and grab one of those. All right, so let's talk about home. Let's have a little conversation about home. I think that hearing the word home triggers all kinds of thoughts and emotions for all of us. Some good, some bad, some negative, some positive, maybe nostalgia, all kinds of reactions when we just hear the word home. Maybe some memories, thoughts about what might happen this afternoon, all kinds of thoughts for all of us when we hear that word. So uh, I'll share this. Last Sunday, and it was on Sunday, uh, me and Jamie and the kids went to a wedding. You don't often see a Sunday wedding, but this was a Sunday wedding. Jamie's cousin got married, and uh, it was a nice affair. I mean, the venue was beautiful. The reception, a very formal dinner later, it was very nice. All kinds of panache. Like it was, it was an affair. So, so it was, it was really good. And uh, during during the dinner part, we're all sitting down at our respective tables, and the master of ceremonies says, "The dinner shall now be served." And the, here come the you know the servers, and they're starting to give out the food. And the, the uh, person said, "It's going to be served family style." To which I instantly out loud said at my table, well, then let the crying and the complaining begin. Because family-style dinner at my house is just that. A lot of whining and a lot of grumbling and a lot of complaining. That's how it is at my house. That's how it is at my home, right? So-and-so got more food than me. This food is yucky. I want ice cream. And that's me. That's... (laughs) That's before the kids get going. (laughs) And Jamie's food is never yucky. It's straight up good. So anyway. So I think home for all of us means a lot of different things, right? But I think there's one thing we would all agree on. We want our home to be better. Regardless of our home, right, situation, we all want our home to be better. So we're going to do this little series, little sermon series we're starting today, entitled Home. Thank you very much. Uh, We're going to discuss what it means to have a good home and what are some things that we should do or be doing in order to enjoy a good home life. And there are basically three homes that we are going to talk about during this series. We're going to talk about a good household home. So when we use when we think of the word home, we typically think of our, our home, home, right? House, 
family, that kind of thing. So we're going to talk about our household. We're going to talk about a good spiritual home. And we're also going to talk about a good community home. And so uh, in the series, we're going to spend a little bit of time when we're talking about the household. We will spend a little bit of time on marriage. We need that. We're going to talk a little bit about parenting. We need that, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about our spiritual home. So we're going to talk about church. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be a faith family. So what does it mean for us to enjoy church as a good home? Uh, during the series, we're going to talk about what is the most important home that there is, and that is God himself. God is to be our dwelling place. He's to be our fortress, our high tower. What does that mean? So we're going to talk about how to have a strong faith so that we can enjoy God as our home. And today, specifically, we are talking about our home community. Today, we're going to talk about Anger and the surrounding areas, the surrounding towns where we all live. We're going to talk about this corner of the world that is our home, right? This weird corner where northern Harnett County and southern Wake County and western Joko, Johnson County for some of y'all, all right, where these three counties converge. Uh, and so I got a quick question. Would you say that this is a good home where we live? I mean, personally, I think so. I think this is a good home. I really do. I mean, outside having the absolute slowest fast food restaurants on the planet that always get your order wrong, and I'm sorry if you work at McDonald's and you're here today, I, get it straight, y'all. It's like, you know, outside of that, outside of the peskiest gnats in the universe, outside 3,000% humidity, besides those things, I actually think this is a good place to live. We're a few hours from the beach, a few hours from the mountains, right between Atlanta and D.C., between Miami and New York. I mean, this is, this is pretty good. Folks, there's no famine around here. This is a good place to live. There's famine. There's no drought here. This is a good place to live. It really is. We don't have volcanoes about the, you know, Pompeius, you know, at all. We're not in a war zone. There's no missiles and bombs being hurled at us. This is a good place to live. We've got good schools and good teachers around here. This is a good place. There's actually a bunch of really good employment opportunities, and it's even getting better. Commerce is moving. This area is exploding commercially. From a, I wish I had money. I wish I was an entrepreneur. This is a gold mine where we are right now. The growth that is coming, the expansion. Man, if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, a developer, this is where to put your money because this is goodness that is coming to the area, and growth and potential and more jobs are, are heading this way. Folks, we don't have the homelessness that, that Los Angeles has. We don't have the gun violence that Chicago has. This is a good place to live. We've got Eastern-style North Carolina barbecue. We got sweet tea. We are the redeemed. This is a good place to live. This is a good community, a good place to live. It's a good home, and here's the thing, but it could be a lot better. Because while there are a lot of us who have a job, many don't. And while some of us have a, a nice family situation at home, many are beaten and bruised, battered, 
mentally, emotionally, sexually, physically. While many of us are doing pretty well, there are a lot of people around us that are struggling. Some of us have some really good friends and some really good friendships, and we depend on that, and we need that, and it's good. There are a lot of very lonely people around us. And while we may be living large and in charge, and it is good, we're living well, there are those that are dealing with depression and anxiety issues and addictions all around us. Our community is full of brokenness, broken people. Some of us are in this very room right now. There are right now people in our community that don't know how they're going to survive today. Some of those don't want to. Folks, our community is full, full of people in desperate need, hopeless, crying, weeping, not knowing how they're going to make it. So can we make this a better community? And before we even answer that question, I was like, what does that even mean that we would turn our area where we live into a better home, a better community? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that we somehow make things to where there's perfect people with no problems in a perfect place. Because that ain't going to happen until Jesus himself comes back. But in the meantime, can we make this a good home, a good home community? Yes, and I'll tell you how. It's not by making this a, bed, a perfect place with no problems. It is by God's people rising up to shine the light of Christ. See, is God good? Some may answer all the time, right? But yes, God is good. And one of the main ways that God displays his goodness in this world and brings it to bear on the lives of people is through the good work of his people. This is our responsibility. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've ever said, yes, amen, I believe in Jesus and I give my life to Christ and I'm going to follow him, it is your responsibility and mine, our duty to be helpful. This is, this is the gig. This is the spiritual gig that we, are, that we are called to. It is our God-given role to have a role in this world, to roll up our sleeves and be helpful and help the people around us, to do the very things that God asked us to do. And all along, to ask for his blessing, to ask for his favor, to ask for his kindness so that we may be of good in our community, that this community would be a good place. And I'm going to tell you right now, because I know this to be true, we can make this corner of the world that we live in a good home. I know that to be true. This is where Psalm 90 comes in. So we're just going to walk our way through, through the psalm and And just know this, that I think that what we learn in the Scripture is exactly what our community needs. It's kind of like the good fire that we need set up under us. Because what our community needs is not social engineering or more government programs. What this community needs is for God's people to roll up their sleeves and do the work that we're called to do. That will make this a good home.
Okay, so let's look at Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were, before they were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, I just want to think about that last little phrase. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, Here's what this means. I'm going to start with us by contrast. We are, every single one of us in this room, we are what is referred to as temporal beings. A little fancy word. Let me explain to you what it means that we are temporal beings. It means that we are under time. Time is supreme over us. We are at the mercy of time. We experience time sequentially, moment to moment. Here comes this moment. Now it's gone. I'm not experiencing that moment anymore that's gone, right? Here comes this moment. There, that, I only experience every moment in that moment. It's gone. I'm a temporal being, okay? God isn't that way. God is not temporal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. God is not under time. God is over time. While we are at the mercy of time, God is not. While we exist in time, God exists outside of time. He lives in the eternal now. I only experience a moment now. It's gone. Now it's gone. God experiences all moments, past, present, and future simultaneously at the same time. What? What it means that God is from everlasting to everlasting means that God is eternal He always has been, he is, he always will be. There has never been a time when there was not time. In fact, time came into existence only because God created time, which means that God existed before time. In a time before time. Like what in the world does that mean? Outside of time. He doesn't submit to time. Time submits to him. He can slow it up. He can speed it up. He can stop it. He can bring it to an end. He can start it over. All of it. Folks, you got to marvel at that. You got to let that thought. And I know it's the theological thinking equivalent of an ice cream headache, right? Like it's, ah. That kind of hurts my brain to just think that God predates time, that God is older than time. You got to marvel at that. The Bible begins with these three little simple words in the beginning. And if you just read those three words, you have to ask the question well, what was before that? Let me tell you, there was no what before in the beginning, there was a who. God Almighty. That's what it means that he's everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. What sort of being is God that he is eternal, that he always was and he always will be? you got to marvel at that. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus calmed the storm. He's out on the, on the sea with his disciples. He calms the storm. He speaks to the storm. He calms it. It's glass, right? It's like, like the sea is glass when he speaks. And then it says the disciples marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, we have an advantage that the disciples didn't have at the time. Because they said, What sort of man is this that the sea and the wind obey him? He's no mere man. 
we know this, that he is the God-man. He is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That was no mere man who told the winds and the waves to calm down and chill out. That was the creator of the wind and the waves that said, chillax. Got to marvel at that, right? I mean, the disciples were right to marvel. What sort of man is this? That's God. Now, let me ask you this, or I'll put this forth. I wonder if we should marvel even more at the thought that he's from everlasting to everlasting. You know why? Because the very atoms that made up the gases in the wind and the very atoms that eventually met the hydrogen and the oxygen that came together and created the water molecules in the storm in the sea, Jesus predates all of that. He didn't just like, tell it to cease. He existed before even the water and the gases of the air. Marvel. You got to marvel at who Jesus is. He is the eternal God, everlasting to everlasting, no beginning and no end. And the Bible also says this He is good, He is wise, He is loving, and He never, ever changes. So from everlasting to everlasting, his love will never fail. From everlasting to everlasting, his wisdom will not cease. From everlasting to everlasting, his goodness will not stop. Forever and ever, he is loving and wise and good without changing. That is who he is. That is what he is. So not only should we all marvel at the thought of the eternality of God, you can trust him. He's been there. He's got a track record. He's got a resume, y'all. From everlasting to everlasting, good, wise, and loving. He's got street cred. He knows how it's all going to end. He knows where it's going. So don't just marvel, and you should. You should be astonished. Know that you can trust him. You can put your faith in him. You can believe him. So do you? Do you trust him? Not just kind of, sort of, not just some of the time, not with part of your life. No, do you trust him sincerely, wholeheartedly with everything in your life, with your, your marriage and your children, your family, with, with church, with work, with finances, with stewardship, with your health? Do you trust God with everything you can? Everlasting to everlasting goodness, love, and wisdom. You can trust him. So this God who is from everlasting to everlasting, just you got to know he has a plan. you got to know that he has a plan. Your life, individually, Paige and John, Crystal, right, all of you, Jeremy, all of you, your life has a plan. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. It's the same for our community. God loves our community and has a plan for our community. You and this community are not here by accident. 
It's not like God was in heaven and he sneezed and oops, the cosmos was created. He didn't have to create the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. He didn't have to, but he did. The fact that he did means that he did it on purpose. So that means that the universe was created on purpose. Therefore, it means it has a purpose. So God loves you. you got to understand this. He loves you individually. And from everlasting ago, he decided he had a plan for your life. Specific work for your life. And the same goes for our community. He thought of this community, this corner of the world, from everlasting ago and everlasting ago. He says, I have a plan for that little spot of dirt, as humid as it will be. I have a plan for that community. So before we get into some of that, there's a couple other things we need to discuss in our text. The first one is something that most of us, most of the time, like to ignore. And that's our own mortality. So look at verse 3. You return, referring to God, God, you return man to dust. That's our end, at least here on earth, right? That's our end. We will return to dust. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Time has no effect on God. It clearly has an effect on us. Have you aged recently? How's your lower back doing? <laughs> oh, my back. Like, like time is ruthless and cruel. It'll get you. So we're at the mercy of time. We're under it. We succumb to it. We age. We grow old. There's diseases and ailments, and eventually... Death comes to knocking. It comes to us all. And you can't, you can't ignore it. We're on the clock. And we may not know when it'll come to each of us, and we don't know necessarily how it'll come to each of us, but the one question I can't answer is why it will come to each of us. Look at verses 8 and 9 in our text. It says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The reason we have to face death is because of sin. Because of the original sin that took place in the Garden of Eden so long ago, through that first sin, death entered the world. It's been passed on to us, both sin and death. We all continue to sin, and so we will all physically die. That's the consequence of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And it's right. You have to understand this. It's, that's right. That's just it could not be any other way the just consequence of disobeying God's laws of ignoring the Lord and his word the consequence is physical death and and I understand that this completely cuts the cuts against the grain of our modern conventions does it not consequences 
like our, our so-called sophisticated, enlightened, 21st century, first world American thought process is not. No, there, there, there can't be consequences to anything. There shouldn't be consequences to anything. We shun consequences. We rebuke consequences. So I'm stealing this from Steve Emery. If you know him, he's one of our church members, helps out in several ways. He's my neighbor. A couple of months ago, we went to grab pizza. And we're, we're on our way back. And he pointed something out that was just insightful. So I'm stealing it. I'll send you a nickel in the mail. He pointed out the current campaign. And you've probably seen it with Domino's Pizza. right? Their policy now is if, if you order pizza and you go buy it and you go to the store and you pick it up and you're driving home, if you drop it, if a storm hits and it flies into the next county or whatever happens, if, you're, if you ruin your pizza, you can go back to Domino's, back to the store, and they'll do what? They'll give you another one. They'll give you another. They'll replace it for free. In essence, bless your heart. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You can just, just here you go. It bless you, right? Folks, if that is not the ultimate epitome of participation trophy, society, snowflake mentality, that is the world on madness. No. See, if you're a billion-dollar corporation, however big Domino's is, sure, you can give out a few pies, whatever. What does it really cost them, right? In the real world, when it comes to spiritual matters and eternal matters, the stuff that really matters, let me tell you, it, there are consequences. Sin has dire consequences. The world says, no, 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 not a problem. God says, no. There are some real issues, ultimate, eternal consequences to sin. The wages of sin is death. Our disobedience is always before God. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. It's before him. So, uh-oh. And, and here's why that one of the songs that we sang earlier, man, it is an anthem of a song. But God, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us because we're sinners, right? Right? I, I need help with that. I can't undo that. I can't stop that, right? I can't stop the consequences of my sin. But God, so yes, guess what? I hate to say it. We know it to be true. We're mortal. We will, in fact, face physical death as a result of our sin. But God says, I offer you eternal life afterwards. And this is the gospel message that we love to talk about and sing about and pray about. God loved us. He sent his son. And here comes God the son, and he takes on flesh. He, he becomes incarnate. He becomes one of us. Never did anything wrong. And then he was crucified. Not because he'd done anything wrong, but because we had. Because we had done something wrong. So he takes our place on the cross. He goes there. He takes our place where we should be. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes the wrath and the judgment of God that we deserve. He dies our death. On the third day, he rose again, proving that he's God and proving that what he did on the cross was real, having actually paid for our sin. The wages of sin is death. He paid the wages, the cost, the price. He did it. And so now whosoever believes in him and gives their life to him, yeah, 
will still have to face that physical death, but what happens afterwards? Eternal life. You receive grace. You receive mercy. You receive a new status before God. You are said, you are told by God Almighty, I will usher you in personally into my kingdom forever and ever. And so here's the choice before us. In this life, and we have this life to make this decision, you choose light or darkness afterwards. Heaven or hell. Condemnation afterwards or forgiveness and righteousness afterwards. That's the choice. The God who is eternal offers us freely eternal life. So have you said yes? Have you said yes to what God offers you? Have you, uh, as I always like to say, have you embraced it or hugged it into your soul? Like given yourself over to it. I I don't believe that you can actually receive something that you don't give yourself to. So have you given yourself over to this wonderful gift of love, forgiveness that God offers? And if you said yes to following Jesus, there's one way to live with wisdom. So look at verse 12 in the text. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I love that verse because it defines what wisdom is. Wisdom for us in this world is knowing that our days are numbered. And if our days are numbered, there's two things that we need to do. One is we need to live each of those days that are numbered that God has given us. We need to live in dependence upon him every day. Daily dependence. That's what it means to live with wisdom. And the other thing is that we live on mission. That we actually make the best use of the days that we have. That we take advantage of them and we use them for the glory of God and the good of others. What's wisdom? Know that your days are numbered. And in the meantime, you live in dependence daily and you live on mission daily. Look at the first one there. So it says, look first. Let's look first at dependence. Look at verse 14. It says, satisfy us in the morning with your stead." Fast love. We are dependent upon God for his daily new mercies. For his daily, all these like days that are numbered, we are dependent upon him every day for his daily new mercy. So today, I've said this throughout the year, right? This day that we're now living in has never existed before. That means that this day is a brand new invention from God. And it comes to us with new mercy. So Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Before God created the universe, he hand-selected individual new mercies or blessings just for you for this day. Before you were born, before you were born, he knew what you would need today. And you know what he did from everlasting ago? Those new mercies that are just for you for this day, he wrote your name on them. He put them in storage. He reserved them for you. And today he delivers them with free shipping. We need his new mercies every day that is numbered. All of our days are numbered each and every day. We need his new mercies just to make it 
for sustaining, for provision, for protection, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, physically, spiritually, all of it. Right? These days are numbered, so we, and we need God in each of these numbered days. But these new mercies aren't just for us individually as me, me, me. He gives us these new mercies for the sake of his mission. He gives us the new mercies so that we may accomplish the good work that he has planned for us to do. So look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. Who are his servants? You say yes to Jesus? Do you, have you accepted the gospel? Are you a follower of Christ? You are a, follow, you're a servant. You're, we're bond servants of, of the Lord. What this means is that if you are a bond servant, a grace recipient of God, that you wake up in the morning as you're starting to receive your new mercies, God, as your servant, as my master, could you tell me what work you're doing in my world, in this world right now, so that I may be part of it? Show me your work. Show me what you're up to that I may be part of it. That's what we say. So in our living room at home, we've got this table. It's a Lego table. And so like our oldest three kids, so Edie, Ellie, and Emmett, they'll spend hours. And they're always building and adding and changing. And, um, you know, it's their G-Tang clan kid city and so they you know each one has a house you know different rooms and levels kind of and there's a there's a church in their little city so that's good I'm proud of that and all kinds of other weird things and there's dinosaurs in the city but that's cool all right and so um they'll, they'll work forever so they go off to school well then but there's still a four-year-old at the house and four-year-old Eve the destroyer of universes uh <laughs> takes it upon herself throughout the day to do some remodeling uh, demolition work, really. And, and so then when the older kids get home, it is gnashing of teeth. It is wailing, whip, weeping, lamentations and requiems. It is ashes and sackcloth. It is just awfulness because their work has been destroyed, which is understandable, right? To work on something and have it just get torn down and blown away. Here's the thing. God offers us to be part of a construction project that can't be torn down. He invites us to be part of building something that cannot be destroyed. His plans are from everlasting to, say it, everlasting. His will cannot and will not be thwarted. His plans will be fulfilled. He has started something that cannot be destroyed. And he's saying, Brad... Billy, Rico, come be part of it. Be part of something that the world cannot take away, destroy, tear down. It can't rust. It can't mold. can't be stolen. Is that not good? We get invited to be that. So we have this choice. We have this choice in this world. You can spend your life, if you so desire, on frivolous things, selfish things, self-centered things that get destroyed and blown away, that are here today and gone today. Or... You can devote your life to the eternal and glorious things of God that will endure from everlasting to everlasting. Folks, we know our days are numbered, so why not spend them the right way in wisdom, 
doing the things that God is up to. So if he loves us, and he does, if Jesus died for us, and he did, if God gives us new mercies for our good and for the sake of the mission, should we not give our lives to furthering the kingdom of God, furthering the gospel of grace in this world? What else is there to do? Those of us who are grace recipients, we pray, God, reveal to us what you're doing, that we may do it. And we pray, God, bless our efforts. Because you can't do it on your own. Look at verse 17. It says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Folks, you can work all day. You can work your fingers to the numb. You can be doing right things. And if God is not all up in that, it's for nothing. We need his favor, his blessing. The word in the text means kindness. We need God's kindness upon the work of our hands that it would yield the right fruit because everything is for him and by him and through him and in him. So we need to pray. God, not just tell us what to do, but please bless it. Show us favor. So anthemers. And I haven't used this word too much recently. Anthemers, we're Anthem Church, right? An anthemer is someone who's a follower of Jesus who calls Anthem Church their home. All right? So I'm speaking to anthemers. Anyone else here that's not an anthem, you're welcome to become one. All right? So please accept Jesus and make this your church family, and we're good to go. So I'm speaking to the anthemers. I want you to know God has very much revealed much of the vision that he desires for our church. He has revealed much of the very of the good work that he desires for us as a church to fulfill in our community that it may be everything that he would desire it for be. Folks, there are, there are greater things, as we say so often in the life of our church, greater things that God wants Anthem Church to do that this community would be a good home. All right? So we need to pray for his blessing. We need to pray for his favor that it would accomplish everything that he would want it to. So I'm going to spend the last few minutes that we have just sharing a few things that God wants our church to do. Number one, at the top of the list, this has been part of the dream from when we planted the church five years ago, for Anthem Church to become a biblical counseling center. With every passing week, just know that this conviction of how much this is needed and that this is what God wants us to do grows in my heart and in my mind. I cannot begin to tell you how much this is needed. Folks, there's biblical counseling and then there's non-biblical secular counseling, which I don't trust because it, it doesn't bring the gospel to bear. Just so that you know, for your information purposes, there's a difference between biblical counseling and Christian counseling. I don't trust Christian counseling. I trust, it's a technical term. Biblical or neuthetic is the, it's the term. Neuthetic counseling. There is none really around our area. We need bibli- biblical counselors. 
It's a specific certification. So there are a few people in the life of our church that are already starting to step up and look about getting equipping in education, in, in certification, because it's so needed. I went, like, our, our previous town manager, just a couple of years ago, he called me, just me, to a meeting. He said, Rick, I've been town manager for 20 years. I've never seen it this bad. Forever, people, yeah, we're always dealing with drug issues. Now, parents are going, buying drugs, bringing them home, and doing them with their kids. He's like, what do we do? What can your church do? And that's, quite frankly, it's like overwhelming. Like, what can we do? Folks, our community is dying, hurting. They're confused. And you need all Christians, all believers to be on mission, always speaking truth and love. But then there are those that are specifically gifted and called to be biblical counselors, to, to impart God's word and truth in a way to help people like navigate some tough seasons, to go walk with them through seasons. So if you're here, I'm asking you, would you pray? Would you pray for our church to become this? That we wouldn't just have biblical counseling, but we would be an equipping center for others. Would you pray? Some of you need to pray. Maybe God is calling you specifically to that. Folks, and I, and I am asking, I say, we need to fund this. We need to get in front of this and fund it. We have our greater things line item in our budget. It's part of our giving designation. You can give to greater things. Everything that you give specifically toward greater things goes toward these vision things that God has for the life of our church. One of them being, can we become a biblical counseling center? We may hire a man and or a woman that this is what they do or subsidize them in some way. Which this is needed. Remember, this being a good home doesn't mean that this becomes a perfect place where people have no problems. It means that a church is stepping up to help people with problems. That's a good home. That's a good home. Now, related to the whole counseling thing, and this one's scary. This one's scary. I feel a little early sharing this one, but I, I feel like I have to. A couple months ago, I get called to a meeting called by a North Carolina state senator. There are four of us in the meeting. The purpose of the meeting wasn't expecting that. How can Anthem be part of bringing a pregnancy center to Andrew? How can Anthem? No other church was asked to this. Five-year-old Anthem asked, can you help us to figure out how to bring a pregnancy center to this town? We have this meeting. There's four of us. One of the people at the meeting, she runs a pregnancy center. So we're talking, and she's like, okay, maybe money's, money's tough. Well, here's the purpose of the meeting. This state senator has secured money in the state budget for millions of dollars for pregnancy centers in the state, of which this one specific pregnancy center would get a decent cut. And so lady's clearly interested. I'm dying. I'm like, yes, please. How do we make this work? And so she mentioned, well, it's not just money for rent. It's not just money for staff. It's the equipment. I mean, like an ultrasound machine that you need is like $150,000. 
Like, oh, man. So we leave the meeting. It's fairly positive. Within the week, one of the people at this meeting happened to be somewhere. This missions organization person happened to be randomly, well, yeah, there. Randomly, the missions organization person said out of nowhere, this is really weird. This, we, someone donated a $150,000 ultrasound machine, and we don't know what to do with it. So the person said, uh, would you give it to a pregnancy center in Andrew? And they're like, yeah. That's not random. That's not random. Could it be, could it be that God is opening up a door? for Anthem Church specifically to help be involved with bringing a pregnancy center to this town and saving babies. Is that good work? And what I love about this one specific organization that we would be working with is that, number one, they counsel ladies who find themselves in a situation where they feel like they have no other choice than to terminate the life. So they work with them, and they talk with them, and they bring grace to bear upon their lives. There, there's another choice. And what I love about this organization is not just, hey, choose life. God bless you. No, they give training. They walk with them for years, helping them, supporting them. Like You're not on your own. And what I love about this organization is that, guess what? They do counseling for those who do or have chosen to abort a baby. Because, you know, the baggage, the guilt that that leads, the scarring. So they're like, no, we're going to love you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to walk with you, that you can find joy in Christ. Because guess what? That is not the unpardonable sin. God's grace can cover any sin. You cannot outsend the grace of God. It can heal any wound. And so these people walk with others. Let's, let's find hope and rescue in Christ. Is that not good work? I don't know how. I don't know when. What I do know is that the state budget has to pass first. The North Carolina Senate votes Tuesday afternoon. Would y'all pray that it would pass? Millions of dollars get released to saving babies. Would you pray? If it passes, then it gets really fun. For Anthem, we're going to help to find a place for this place to exist. We're going to fund it. We're going to help provide for rent. We're going to volunteer we're going to have some people that can do some counseling and some that are just admin and logistics support. For it, and we're going to be all up in there. Because that's part of biblical counseling, is it not? Is that not part of the work of Christ? We need to fund this. Greater things. Give to greater things. So we can begin to ramp up the cookie jar. Because once this gets going, it's going to get going. So would you pray? Pray for the budget to pass. Pray that God would open up the doors. Pray for us to be part of that. Pray that we will have all the resources that we need to make that happen. I got some other things here I'd like to share, kind of running out of time. But what else is Anthem Church doing? Here's something that God just dropped in our lap earlier this year, Harney County Partnership for Children. 
It's free. Tuesday mornings, they have these ready-to-grow playgroups, 9.30 to 11.30. It's, it's, it's a great program. It's just for kids. If they're not in school yet, just bring your kids. If you're a stay-at-home caregiver, mom, dad, whatever, grandparent, bring your kids. And the kids are just getting some good skills, which are needed. They're getting to play. It gets the moms or the dads or whatever out of the house because that can be crazy being cooped up with little ones all day. It doesn't cost us anything. And there's people from the community that are starting to come. It gives us an opportunity to meet some people. And on Thursdays, it's the circle of parents. Same time, 9.30, 11.30. And this is more for the adults. Like, hey, you need a break because life is crazy watching little ones. So, hey, come be part of that. And the kids are being cared for during that time. Isn't that good? But it's it's not just for us. It's for our community to bring, to, to build bridges. Like on top of that, in November, toward the end of November, Thanksgiving, we do this community Thanksgiving meal where we partner with several other churches to provide a free, hot Thanksgiving meal for over 300 people that otherwise would not get to enjoy that meal. I know it's only one meal, but it's something and it's a blessing, right? What a good thing. Then a few weeks after that, we're part of the Living Nativity Hayride, which is this thing we do in conjunction with the town and the Chamber of Commerce during the Christmas tree lighting celebration for the town. We do this hayride thing, Living Nativity scenes acted out. We share the true Christmas story and the gospel with like 800 people in one night. That's good work. That's absolutely good work. Here in two Saturdays on the 28th, we're doing this downtown power washing thing. Not many people even know about it yet at this point. We've done this a few times over the last several years where we go out there and we just power wash and scrub the sidewalks. It doesn't seem all that Jesus-related, right, or Christ-like. We didn't do it earlier this year because of different reasons. So the town hired a new person, and a new person says, oh, we need to power wash and scrub the downtown. Never knew that we had ever do anything like this. So the town got in trouble because they, they hired a company and they were going to charge all the storefront owners out there a certain amount. You have to pay X amount of money, and this is going to happen. In essence, it was a tax that was imposed upon the storefront. They had a little rebellion. Bless their hearts, right? And so this, I found out about it, and I called the person and said, hey, we've done this in the past. We'll do it. Holy cow, I cannot begin to tell you the blessing that this is to some people in our town. We were peacemakers in this situation. So on Saturday the 28th, we just need some people to go downtown, and, and Jack Bogwitz is in charge of the project. We just got a couple of people on the sidewalk scrubbers, one fourth three with a power washer. We're just going to be a blessing. It doesn't seem significant, but folks, let me, I promise you, it is. The food pantry, the Andrew Area Food Pantry uses the backside of our building. It's a different organization, but we have a group that show up on Tuesday and Thursday morning to be there. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How is it going? You need any help with anything? Do you know the presence that is? We don't even have to go outside the building. They're coming to us. And I do know that we need more people. So if you're at home during the day on the mornings, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we need some folks. We need some folks that are just willing to be a blessing and shine the light of Christ. And your elementary school, from the very beginning, we're doing our best to adopt the school. So we try to proctor during the exams. We take snacks. At the staff meeting once a month, Jamie's treasurer for the PTG. We have other parents involved there. We do an end-of-the-year dinner. We try to help them set up classrooms at the beginning of the year. We're trying our best to be a blessing to those educators and that staff at that school as best as possible because I know they need it, and I know they're blessed by it. 
great mural festival yesterday. Well, we did, how much do we really share Jesus? Well, I did with a couple, maybe. But do you understand the, what it's like to a community to see a church presence all together, enjoying the day, painting faces, trying to be a blessing? There are like five of us on Friday that spent five and a half hours setting up the event. Our, our church is trying to get after it here. Sunday mornings, everything we do here is to further the kingdom. And then there's what you're doing individually as you're going about your day. Folks, God is at work in you and through you in our church, through our church. And there are some opportunities that are coming that are just next level. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you were born from everlasting, God says, I have specific work for you to do. He sent his son to call you out of darkness and into his life, that you, light that you may proclaim his excellencies, that you may live for his glory. That's why you've been saved. And we should do so because of the great love with which he loved us. And on top of that, and God, because God's the God of sprinkles. He always throws sprinkles on top, right? Like the goodness is just his love. But on top of that, if, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What that verse says is, if you're doing the work of God, he will show his favor. Period. What that verse is, if you get to work, God will work. He will work in you. He will work through you. What that means for our church is if we get to work, people will come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Marriages will be saved. Addictions will be broken. Physical ailments will be healed. Depression will be mended. Loneliness will be a thing of the past. He will take our efforts and he will multiply them. He will show favor and he will establish the works of our hands. Are you in? Are you in? We can make this a wonderful home community for so many people. Not that we make it perfect, because we can't, and it won't happen until Jesus comes back. But that God's people rise up to be the hands and feet of Christ to our neighbor and our coworker, our family, our friend, and our community. So let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the assurances that we can live with confidence and boldness. Lord, you are calling us to a great work, to greater things. You're calling us to do your work. Lord, show us your works. Show us, your servants, your works. And then bless them. Show us favor. Show us where you are building, Lord, that we may be part of the building. 
Lord, we are, those of us in the room who've given our lives to you, Lord, we are Christians, we're believers, we're followers of Jesus, we are anthemers. And Lord, I know what that means. That means hard work. Work isn't easy. This is hard work. It's not convenient. It's not meant to be convenient. It can't be convenient. It wasn't convenient to you, Jesus, when you gave your life. Let us follow your example of sacrifice, Lord. What this means for us, we know, is that we serve and we volunteer. We give. We fund financially. We pray and we act. We work and we sacrifice. Lord, we're asking you, show us what you're doing. Tell us what to do. And then bless our efforts, Lord, that you may be honored and praised, that you may be glorified, that people may be helped. Lord, I pray for anyone and everyone in the room here, Lord, and anyone here specifically who has never said yes to the gospel. Lord, I pray now that you would just knock upon the door of their heart. Pray that they would say yes to your grace, to your love. Lord, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you could do so right now where you're sitting. Just cry out to him from your heart. Say, Lord, I want to be forgiven. I want to trust in your love. I want to give my life to you. I've, I've gone the wrong way. Lord, I give my life to you now. If you do that, you will be forgiven and you will receive eternal life. Is that you today? For the rest of us, Lord, give us the, the energy, the conviction to do your work. Lord, build our life and help us to build the lives of others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.